Welcome to Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and I have had the honor to host this show since we began this podcast in January of 2021. And I only have one regret in all the time I've been hosting Speakernomics. And that was in August of 2021, I was scheduled to interview Jeannie Robertson. And we were scheduled to do the interview three days after she passed away. Now, I was really kind of sad that we didn't get to have that interview about storytelling because I had the joy of being on the phone with her a few days before she died and we mapped out what we were going to talk about on the interview. And she was a wealth of knowledge and certainly a legend in the speaking business. So I thought it would be a great idea to invite here to the show Patrick Henry to talk about some of the things that he learned from Jeannie Robertson throughout his life. Patrick and Jeannie knew each other for almost 40 years. They lived in the same hometown and they worked together and collaborated for many years on a variety of projects. And she was somewhat of a mentor to Patrick. However, it was during the pandemic that together they started Live from the Back Porch with Jeannie Robertson, her very successful Facebook Live and YouTube show that she ran every week to thousands and thousands and thousands of followers. So I thought it would be great to bring Patrick here just to talk about some of the great things that he learned from her over time. So Patrick, welcome to Speakernomics. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here, Tom. Hey, you know, Patrick, what are two tips? I'm sure there's a whole bunch of them, but let's just focus on two. What are two tips that you learned over the years from Jeannie? The first one, I guess, would be there's a story in everything. She was always on the hunt for new material and she found it. And she taught me that it's all around. We just have to look for it. Secondly, I observed her uh, live this, which is always look for opportunities to engage with your audience. No engagement's too small. Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have some fun unpacking this wisdom. However, for those of you who don't know Patrick Henry, Patrick is what happens when keynotes, comedy, and concerts collide. He's a business humorist, and what he does is he takes music, comedy, and business concepts, and he presents them to audiences in a fun and educational manner. He's also a second-generation professional speaker. His father, Robert Henry, was one of the early members of the National Speakers Association, and in 1984, Robert served as president of that organization. Throughout his career, he also received all of the designations and awards that you can get in the National Speakers Association. He was a CSP, a CPAE, and a Cavett Award winner. So Patrick got to grow up seeing greatness in the speaking industry. So Patrick, here we are on Speakernomics. Tell us all a little bit about your relationship with Jeannie Robertson. Well, thank you. So as you mentioned, my dad was a speaker. And so I grew up around speakers. I grew up in NSA. And so I got, had a front row seat to um, some of the great speakers in the, in the country, usually staying in our house. Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, Jeannie Robertson, all these folks um, I could hear down at the kitchen table. And so I really got an early view into what the speaking business is all about. When Jeannie and I um, really got to know each other, it was after my dad passed away. And I moved to Burlington, North Carolina, where when I got married, I married Jeannie's assistant's daughter. 
and we've been married 17 years tomorrow. And so Jeannie and I got to be really close. We collaborated together. We wrote material together. She would pop over to the house and test out material on me, and I'd do the same with her. But as you mentioned in the intro, it wasn't really until the pandemic that we took a, a, a bit of a turn, and we started live from the back porch with Jeannie Robertson, which was a, um, a live stream to Facebook and to YouTube. And at the height of the pandemic, we were getting 120, 130,000 views a week. That was a lot of fun. You know, the more I learned about technology, the more she relied on me. And I told my wife, I said, I feel like I'm learning all this new information so I can, I can become Jeannie's bus driver. You know, <laughs> I'd become the Gelman to Jeannie's Regis. But it was really a lot of fun. And, you know, it ended too soon as far as I'm concerned. And well, so, which is why I'm here. Well, when I had that opportunity to talk with her on the phone and, and we were mapping out what we were going to talk about on Speakernomics, she was funny. She said, go ahead and call Patrick because I know you're friends with him. She goes, because I want him here to run the technology. And so I called Patrick. I said, whenever you're in town, we're doing the interview. So uh, she was funny about it. And, and she certainly enjoyed and relied on you. So that was that was awesome. The, the funny thing is, and, and you know how daunting technology can be until you learn it. Well, I liked her relying on me. So every time she started to learn something new, I'd throw a new cable on the floor just to confuse her, <laughs> throw her off the scent. <laughs> so, Patrick, I know over your lifetime, uh, both directly and indirectly, you learned so much from Jeannie. But let's oh. let's start with the two tips that you, you said at the top of this at the top of this interview. And I love the first one. And that is there's a story in everything. So let's un let's unpack that a little bit. She was constantly on the hunt for new material, and it had really become a habit with her. I mean, she wrote a book about it, for goodness sake. She was always looking for something funny, and she taught me to do that because I would tell her a story of something that happened at a soccer game or whatever, and she goes, oh, my God, you got to write that down. And then she'd say, if you don't, I will. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the latest thing, I was at a – my son plays soccer, as you know, and he plays on the varsity high school team. And the first game of the season, it was raining, but I wasn't going to miss it. If they were playing, I was going to be there. And so I made my way to the sideline. I'm standing there watching the game getting ready to start, irritated that more parents weren't out there. As a matter of fact, I was the only person on the sideline standing in the rain. And I began to pat myself on the back for my commitment to my son. Well, the game started playing. They scored their first goal. All of a sudden, I hear like 30 horns honking. I turn around. All the experienced parents were sitting in their car watching the game. <laughs> he said, oh, my God, you got to tell that story. But the point is, when she'd have an idea, she would write it down, and she'd get to work turning it into a piece of material. One of the things she told me when, when I chatted with her was that she had notebooks upon notebooks. The stacks could be feet high of different topics where she would write things down so that she could go back to them later to develop them into a usable story. So is that something that you've done in your career? Do you, ha do you have either either physical notebooks or digital files of stories? Okay. So first of all, she had yellow legal pads. <laughs> I mean, I, I think she kept the legal pad company in business. And she really would write stuff down. She would track her YouTube views on legal pads. I mean, she was old school. No, I do not have notebooks, but I do keep digital files of ideas and of, of, um, you know, I mean, her filing system was where you and I would put 
like I, I have a speeches file. So every speech I deliver, I put the outline in a file. So I know what I said to that audience in case I get booked the next year. She had physical files. So, Patrick, one of the things that she shared with me was that she had some stories that she knew were good, but that never were able to get sort of to the punchline, never to the real meat of the humor. And you started something on Jeannie's back porch where they turned to the audience to try and help do some of those things. Could you share that story of how she she actually worked with some of her fans to develop some stories? So one thing that was really unique about Jeannie was she would never take a story to the stage unless it was ready. I can't tell you how many speakers I know something funny happens and then they beta test it on us on the stage. You know, comedians do that because before they do a special, they go to try out new material at comedy clubs. Why? Because they're not getting paid, but Jeannie would never do that because her people are paying to be there. She's not going to test something out. So she would work on a, on a story until she got it right. And if it took 30 years for the punchline to reveal itself, as it did with one of her stories, she would wait. And so we started doing that on, on the show where we would, she would tell a story that was kind of incomplete and she would have people throw in punchlines. And I got to be honest, most of them were horrible, but there were some nuggets in there and one in particular that was good, and I came up with the punchline, but it was inspired by some a comment that one of the fans had. And she was talking about when she was Miss North Carolina, part of her, what she did over the next few years would be MC beauty pageants. And so she was emceeing a beauty pageant and she was standing on the stage and a dog walked in through the back door, came down through the, the aisle of a high school auditorium came up on stage and just sat down while she's on stage. And she was telling everybody that's funny. And I can't remember what the fan said, but it inspired the punchline. I said, Jeannie, you ought to say that you came off stage and two guys said, did you see that dog on stage? And the other guy says, I thought she was funny. (laughs) (laughs) So preparation and making sure that it was right before it ever made it onto the stage was something that she was famous for. So what else did she do to prepare? What were some of the other things where she was adamant about working a story out and being totally prepared for her audience? Well, first of all, she was up early every morning. I'd get caught voicemails from 5 a.m., And I'd always say, I'm sorry, I was out jogging. Um, I didn't get your call. But she always she constantly worked um, when she she used to do a radio interview every Friday on the Neil Steele show. It started off as simply him interviewing her. But then during the pandemic, it became a regular Friday event. So she would go on at eight at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, the show started at, I think, six or seven. She would start listening early and taking notes on what they were talking about so she could reference that in the interview. And that's why it became such a good interview. She was always prepared for her part of the interview by listening to what was said before. Just like a speaker, you know, it's like coming early. You do this, you come early, you listen to what's going on before you speak and you can connect better with the audience. Well, and you can make callbacks to what the speakers have said either the day before or the hour before you, and then the audience feels that you're more engaged to them because you, they think that you've shared that experience with them. So that's that's an awesome tip for everybody is yeah. to, whenever you're gonna be, whether you're gonna be interviewed on a live show or whether you're giving a speech on a stage, show up early and listen to what the audience is hearing before you get there because then you're more connected to them. 
No, absolutely. And I've heard of speakers not doing that. And they realize that the opening speaker told their signature story. <laughs> <laughs> so Patrick, one of the things that, that Jeannie was most known for was being such a great humorist, right? She, she told me she didn't like to, to use the word comedian, that, that she was a humorist. What is the nuance between comedian and humorist? You can get a comedian for $500. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think Brian Walters gave me this line. The difference between a humorist and a comedian is one decimal point to the right. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is a humorist always has a point. There's a message, there's a subtext woven throughout, throughout the funny and um, a comedian. It's just a different animal. I'm trying to work more comedy into my routine because you do comedy. You understand a comedian's trying to get some sort of a laugh every seven to 10 seconds. Humorous doesn't always do that. Although Jeannie tended to do that. You know what I do, there's usually a big payoff, whether it's a funny song or it's a punchline. There may be a, a story leading up to that by the time Jeannie got to her punchline most of you are laughing so hard that it's just a cherry on top when she gets to the punchline and that's what I've always strived to do is what Jeannie did her delivery was so masterful her facial expressions you had people engaged and also I'll tell you this Tom her fans loved her so much because of her accessibility that she had won by the time she stepped on stage. She didn't have to win anybody over. So that leads us to the second tip. And that was don't miss an opportunity to engage an audience. She was so good about this. Before she got uh, sick, she would stay signing autographs and product until the last person left. But she would also take very seriously her Facebook community. She would answer everybody's questions. She would, she would respond. She would, um, she would read all the responses until you get into the, you know, when your video is getting a million plus views, you can't respond to everybody, but she was always very serious about that relationship uh, with her Facebook followers. And not everybody is Facebook for a lot of people is kind of a secondary or, 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 or tertiary platform. But for her, it was her number one platform. And she understood that that's where most of her fans were. And she practiced this even before there was a Facebook, right? I mean, she was she was a professional speaker for something like fifty seven years, and so you know uh, there, there was no, there was no Facebook uh, when when she got started. But she always stayed and listened and engaged with with fans and with audience members, correct? Well, without question, she um, she was very charismatic. She enjoyed the interaction. You know, she wasn't one of these speakers who. Um, takes their applause and then head straight to the room. <laughs> but also keep in mind, and I think a lot of us, a lot of our, your listeners here were speakers. We're, you know, we didn't start off as celebrities. And so like me, I started off in high speaking in high schools. So if I check into a room that doesn't have bulletproof glass in between me and the teller, then it feels like a good day. So when you kind of come up through the ranks that way and you come up speaking to rotary clubs and chambers of commerce and all that, then your audience is never an annoyance. 
you know, because we're grateful. At least I'm always grateful when people show up. <laughs> well, and that's and that's a great example, too, is, is that a lot of us think of Jeannie Robertson as this you know woman with over like 120 million downloads on YouTube, which, you know, there's there's a lot of, of millennials who wish they had half as many downloads, you know, as, as she, there's a lot of influence out there who can't get as many downloads as, as Jeannie had. And I loved the, the, the tagline that she had for a while that was grandma goes viral. But she didn't start off as a celebrity. Yes, she she won the Miss North Carolina uh, beauty pageant and was voted, what was it, Miss Congeniality in the uh, yep. uh, Miss America pageant. Uh, but she started off, you know, emceeing pageants and speaking to rotary clubs and, and things like that when, when she started off. And she was always connected to the people. So what well, was what was it that she talked about from those early days to the, the latter days of fame that, that she kept with her kind of the sameness? Okay, so you bring up a good point. She did win Miss North Carolina, and so she became a local celebrity in that regard. But that's going to take you so far. And it's not going to take you um, out of North Carolina or out of Rotary Clubs. And so she was able to take that momentum and then magnify it. Her message was always the same. It's, It's keep a sense of humor. Find the funny. That's a keynote. I mean, if you look at the word keynote, it's a key note. There's one overriding theme or message, and that was hers. So many times, and I'm guilty of it as well, in our presentation, either we keep building on it and adding to it, or we feel like what we have to say is so important that we try to jam everything in, and then we've kind of drifted away from what a true keynote presentation is all about. And so with Jeannie, everything she did somehow came back and reflected upon that central core message. And that's what people always talk about. And she used to tell me when she got sick, she'd look at me kind of side-eyed and say, well, we're going to see if I can practice what I've been preaching. (laughs) And finding the funny. So if you think about a career speaking that spans almost six decades, uh, the business changed a lot. There almost wasn't a professional speaker business in the early 1960s when she began speaking. And certainly the, the business changed. Plus, as a person ages, not only does society change, but the way people look at, at the person on stage and what they're going to bring to maybe a corporate audience, uh, th- that perception changes. She was able to pivot and grow and change. And in the latter years of her career, she had created these one-woman shows where she was selling out theaters in, in, in cities all over the country. How did she pivot? How was she able to start where she started, get to the highest levels of the speaking business in, in the 90s and early 2000s, and then make this pivot to being this one-woman show entertainer? What was it that she was able to do that other people haven't been able to do or, or should be paying attention to so they can do it? Well, you, you bring up a good point. Had she simply stayed in the corporate market, it might have been a different different story because in, in the corporate market, you get older, but your audience doesn't because there's constantly people coming in. When you develop a fan base, they age with you. And she, but she also knew who her audience was, and she would not take speeches that didn't uh, put her in the best light. When I used to speak in high school, she, she would always say, I, I, I won't do it. I won't do it. And I'm thinking I wouldn't either if I was you, but, and I wouldn't do it now, but you kind of got to know who you are, who your what your sweet spot is. And she never really left that her pivot into theater shows. A lot of that was due to Al McCree, Al McCree, who's also an NSA member had the idea that I think we, we, and I say, we mean them can sell tickets. 
which is terrifying to me because in the corporate market, you got to make one sale in the theater market. You got to make 2000 sales. And so (laughs) as a musician, we could always say we're selling either we're either selling tickets or selling beer. As a musician, I was usually selling beer, but anyway, Jeannie, she had this following because her theater shows and her social media presence kind of grew simultaneously. So as she developed this following, she was able to market herself into the theaters. You see, my brother has a friend in Charlotte who's a comedian, and he and his whole thing is, I've been a full-time comedian for 18 years. And that was his big claim to fame. I'm like, how much money did he make? You know, probably about $30,000. But that was the high, high watermark for success is that they've supported themselves as a comedian. And Jeannie was doing the big performing arts center in Charlotte. And the guy asked, oh, my God, how did she get that? I've been wanting to do that for years. And I said, it's simple. You rent it out and you put 2000 people in there. And, and that's one thing that a lot of people don't get is that they think that these people are automatically going to come to see Jeannie worked that she worked her list. If she was speaking in, in, in ship Indiana, she targeted her fans in that area. And that's how she marketed. The theaters were surprised. They were stunned that she would actually use her influence with her fans to put people in the seats. She said that a lot of them said, you're the first artist we've ever had do that mm. because they just show up and expect the theater to market to their list. So I don't think that she set out when Facebook first hit and social media came along and said, oh, there's a medium for, you know, a woman in her 60s to, to go social media. How did the social media fame come about for Jeannie Robertson? Of course, as time goes by, I tend to take more and more credit for this. But I'm not <laughs> sure it's exactly the way it happened. But I can remember one thing she used to do. There was a guy named, or is a guy named Carl Hurley, who's a very funny humorist out of Kentucky. And so he had this really, just it's a brilliant model. They would rent a theater and they would market to church groups and seniors groups because these folks like to take motor coach tours. Might just be a, a two day tour just to go somewhere and they get on buses. And so they would market to these motor coach companies and have a show. And so it was mainly people over 60. And so Jeannie started performing with Carl. That's how that she kind of became famous among that group because her DVDs, she was always recording new DVDs. Her DVDs got sold and passed around and she kind of developed this internal following. So because she already had this following, once Facebook came on board, Actually, about three to five years after Facebook came on board, the folks over 60 started getting on Facebook and people started to share her videos. Now, let me back up. So she had all these DVDs of her performances that she was selling. Well, before Facebook came YouTube, and that's when somebody said, I think it was me, you ought to chop these up and put them on YouTube. And she said, you what? I said, YouTube. And I tried to explain to her what it was. And so she had an editor um, cut up the videos and started to release into YouTube. And about that time, somebody found one of her stories called Don't Send a Man. Actually, it wasn't called Don't Send a Man at the Grocery Store. It was that story with a different title. They retitled it Don't Send a Man to the Grocery Store. And they started sending it around to people via email. Now that I think about it, it was just the audio recording at this point. They were sending around via email and people started getting it and calling Jeannie and saying, 
Hey, I'm listening to your story. Somebody sent me. She had no idea. Well, couple that with YouTube. It really went viral. And the reason I think it was so successful was because she is probably one of the only humorists out there that one doesn't use profanity, but appeals to that 60 and up crowd. She had plenty of fans under 60, but that was her target. And she knew that. And and that's, I think, why she was so successful. She didn't try to be all things to all people. So, Patrick, it's really interesting because I've been paying attention to as many speakers as I can who've been successful in different ways, in different areas over the last 18 months during uh, the times of COVID and, and, and the pandemic. And the things that I've seen in everybody who have, you know, started a YouTube show like she did, continued to work like she did, you know, and all, all these people who found success when it's been hard times for a lot of us is there's three things that they all have had, and that is creativity, confidence and ambition. And I would say that Jeannie had all three of those in, in, you know, double down. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I didn't, I, I didn't hurt matters any. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were interviewing Mark Sharonbrock on the show and we were kind of ahead of time. We were show, kind of showing him what kind of setup we had. And he had made a comment, something like, you know, I can't believe you got all this equipment. And I chimed in and said, she's got a guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Patrick, like I said at the beginning of the show, I I did not know Jeannie very well, but uh, I I was honored that I got to have that conversation I had with her while we were prepping to do the interview that, that never happened. If Jeannie was able to be here on Speakernomics, what do you think she would like her legacy to be? What message do you think she would want professional speakers to hear on this show? that she never stopped creating. Uh, She never rested on her laurels, rested on a story. So many of us, and I'm guilty of it as well. We, we, we develop a presentation, we develop material and we ride on it for 10, 20 years. And one thing that I've noticed coming out of the pandemic, now that I'm now we're not out of the pandemic, I get that, but I'm speaking again, you're speaking again. And I gave a speech in Kentucky a few weeks ago. And it felt like I was working from an old set list. It just didn't feel the same. And so it really inspired me to dig in and recreate a direction. And so Jeannie never worried about that. Now in the past, she was very protective of her material. Don't get me wrong. If you told her stories, you better watch out because she still told a lot of those older stories. She would go back to them. She never told the same stories to the same audiences because she kept meticulous, meticulous notes, but she was also never going to be overshadowed because she was constantly working on new material. So Jeannie was a legend in the speaking business and she was beloved by people in the national speakers association community and, and far, far beyond that. You had the honor to be one of the people who delivered a eulogy at her funeral just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what was sort of the message that you had in that eulogy? Well, first of all, um, 250,000 views, by the way, on that video. <laughs> <laughs> on the funeral? I, I, I have to chime in. I, I tuned in to watch you do the eulogy because you and I are good friends. And uh, I told my brother called and I called him back later. I said, sorry, I was watching a funeral uh, on, on, on YouTube. 
And my brother was like, what? And I, then I told him who it was. And my brother goes, oh, I love her. I've watched her videos for years. Oh. And my brother went on and on. And my brother's like, you knew her? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm that cool, Steve. I go, I got invited to the live stream of her funeral. That's right. You could have come to the real one. <laughs> so what? a couple of things. You know, first of all, I really wasn't invited to speak. I claimed my territory. I just felt like I, mean, I wanted to, I wanted other than her son, Beaver, um, I wanted to be one of the ones to say a few words because we were that connected towards the end, you know, and I just wanted people to know uh, not just that she was Miss Amer um, in the Miss America pageant or that she was six two and, and all the stuff. I wanted them to know a little bit about what we're talking about today, how, how smart she was and how driven she was and how, you know, passionate she was about what she did. And, and she had a mission. She brought, and I don't know if it was a self-identified mission, but it was certainly uh, the outcome that she had was to bring laughter into the world. And she really did that. And one, I guess the, to answer your question, I, at one point I spoke to the camera, which, which it was being live streamed. And I, and I told her fans that uh, how important they were to her because a lot of people said that she got them through some really dark moments but I wanted them to know that their love, support, and, and kindness got her through some pretty dark moments in her life. Her husband, Jerry, left brain, died two months before she did. And um, he had had some, a lot of health struggles. And so it was really difficult. And so it was a mutual relationship between she and her fans. They weren't just numbers to her. Well, it was it was a beautiful tribute that you gave, and then then you picked up your guitar and and you played Amazing Grace, which was uh, a very very a beautiful tribute on that. So I was I was glad I got to be there via the live stream. So thank you, Patrick. Any final words for the Speakernomics audience about uh, the great Jeannie Robertson? Yeah, there is. A lot of people would say that the type of speaker Jeannie was, or I am, or any keynoter is outdated. You can't just be a, a, a keynoter or, you know, no one's going to pay a lot of money for funny, just funny. And the truth of the matter is there's so many different ways to do this business. And I think the people who are the most average in this business are the ones who try to be all things to all audiences. And one thing that, that Jeannie did is she knew her audience. She knew where she would shine best. And the hardest thing that we have, we can do as a speaker is to say no to an audience that's willing to give us money if we know we're not going to be our best. And so that's probably what I took away from it. Well, Patrick, thank you for joining us here on Speakernomics. And thank you for the tribute to Jeannie Robertson. Well, thank you for having me. And one day you might have me back for me. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to everybody who joined in and listened. Please join in every single week here on Speakernomics because we try on this show to bring you more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how you can make more money and be more successful as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast. Speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.